I, I think at the end of the day, um, what we should, what we all just have passion for is problem solving. Right. I think it's fun to be able to see a problem and um, understand that you want to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah, that's it, it you get the joy out of that. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, gets gets better with time. Yeah. Hello everyone. Hello everyone. Welcome to the New Africa podcast. I'm your host, Kumi Fafawara. Um, in this podcast, we talk to leaders across all industries um, who are solving problems in Africa and working to bolster the quality of living, economy, arts, and well-being of all the continent's people. In today's show, we're talking with Ibrahim Abdul-Malik. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, he's the head of operations at Farmula. It's a data and technology-driven company looking to disrupt the agri-commerce industry. Africa. So, how are you, Ibrahim? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Seems like you say you just came back. It seems like it was really busy. Is Lagos really like busy at this time? Yeah, like, not so? necessarily. But yeah. I mean, due to power shortage, I had to go get fuel, and uh, there was a queue there. Yeah. Like kerosene or stuff? No, no, no. Fuel for my power generator. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Does it happen often? How often does it happen? Yeah, does I'll say once a day. Wow. Yeah, so wow. so power goes out at least once a day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right, cool. I guess I'll just start with asking questions now. Um All right, yeah. Cool. So I just start I'll just start with formula. Um okay. so I wanted to start with this. So not a lot of listeners may know um what exactly what agri commerce is. Um, so can you give like a brief explanation of what agri-commerce is as well as how formula fits into that? All right. Um, so agri-commerce, I mean, I, I want to use what definition, but it's basically talking about the commercial activities that surround the agri-business scene. So we're looking at from um, input procurement to... IoT devices being on farms to increase precision in farming, we're talking mm. soilless farming, so different farm techniques. And basically what all these solutions are trying to do is to either increase um, produce output or increase our market access. So generally these solutions around produce are what is regarded as agri-commerce. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so I guess, could you go into what yeah, so formula is so the, well? yeah, yeah, so how formula exactly plugs into this. So um, yeah. what we're doing at formula is we are improving the supply, the produce supply chain between smallholder farmers in Africa and um, business consumers. So in terms of smallholder farmers, are looking at farmers who farm anywhere be above two hectares. Mm. And in terms of businesses, we're looking for small holder, um, small scale retail businesses in terms of restaurants or resellers of fresh produce. Um, so we're looking at produce sections that will help us to cover 50% of the inventory of our target customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. so basically we're improving the market access for the farmers on the chain to be able to access these businesses, which gives them better margins and enables the businesses to get the produce that they need at lesser premiums. Right. So is the idea that, is it that 
you'll be like once a seller or a little a small market or something orders food is it that you have in like a warehouse or is it like you immediately tell the farmer that this is what people are demanding and then you you have them and they come and give it to you or something or what yeah so um i'll say for instance kenya which is our primary market um, the first crop which we focused on was potatoes. Mm-hmm. And what you realize is if you were to link a potato farmer directly to a business, um, the time in which the business will be able to supply the farmer increases by imagine. So what we're trying to do is to say, okay, we need to have farmers onboarded mm. such that when the time for them to harvest comes, we sort of know the farmers that we're supposed to reach out to to get harvest. Now, on the other side, we onboard businesses that have recurrent need. And what we do is, since we start with the business side, we use demand to drive the supply chain. Mm -hmm. We don't don't, um, do supply-oriented agri-commerce. So we're building the chain in a way that the demand side feeds information okay. that we give to the farmers yeah okay so at least and that way you don't because there won't be the cost of like spoiled foods and stuff or like yeah, over, yeah. overestimating the demand I yes okay yeah, yeah exactly, I, I exactly. That, makes sense. that does make sense so cool cool so i guess all right yeah i mean this is like a pretty cool like company and a pretty cool company pretty cool like um i guess mission you guys are going to uh trying to attack um, so I yeah. guess I just wanted to know, like, how'd you even, I guess, how'd you even get started? Like, what, what was the journey from, like, I don't know, wherever you want to talk about to now okay. at Farmula? Yeah. Like, how did um, this come to be? Yeah, how, how did Farmula come to be, right? <laughs> um, it's actually an interesting story. So um, on a personal level, I I was farming um, cassava and I was also... In, I, was, I was involved in resale of palm oil okay. with a friend. And um, what we did for the palm oil was we were monitoring market prices for a year. And it basically, it basically gave us a better idea of when prices fluctuate for palm mm-hmm. oil so mm-hmm. we can get better margins. Um, so I did that at the same time I was... Is this at a um, company you worked for before or something? No, no, no. So this okay. was a personal business that okay, I went okay. into. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for the cassava, I was um, adding value by turning it into Gary and shipping okay. the cassava and palm oil to resellers. Okay. So yeah, starting from the supply to the demand. And so discovering the problem for me and the solution I was trying to bring, which was just making it easier for businesses to get access to produce mm-hmm. and what data can I use um, in terms of understanding price data to drive better margins for suppliers? Um, was part of the problems that I had seen before I went into um, MESS, which is a Pan-African program. And while I was at MESS, I met my teammates who had also seen different problems because they had functioned at different parts of the supply chain. And we realized that one of the biggest problems that exists is access to markets. Mm. So really, it was about how we're going to be able to optimize the supply chain so that we can favor farmers mm. and also reduce the effort that businesses will use to be able to get access to the produce that they need. Mm. So really, that was what it was for us. Mm. So like removing that friction. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Removing the friction. Okay. And cool. Making the chain, making the supply chain shorter, much shorter. Cool. I've heard about. I've, I think I've. I've been hearing about this mess thing. What is that exactly? 
So it's a Pan-African program that brings individuals from different parts of Africa mm -hmm. to train them on tech, comms, and business. Now, um, these and in communication. Are, yeah, communication, sorry. Okay. Yeah, okay. so, so um, these people are basically, um, there's no institutional requirements, so there's no, okay, maybe you need to have a degree or something to go through MEST. What you really need to do is to have the drive to want to um, create a tech business and have some sort of experience in either of the three um, um, teaching um, core, which I had mentioned, which is tech, communications, and business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically that's what um, uh, MEST is. So we go to three capstones. If you get yourselves into groups, go to three capstones. And by the end of the third capstone, what happens is a lot of teams have been formed and you guys pitch in order to receive funding. Yeah, so the funding varies and also the number of teams that are funded varies. By our time, okay. it was pretty much uniform. Yeah, okay. so it was $100,000 across the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a 30% equity investment. Yeah. Cool. And if people just know it, they just, people, they just, so if people just know about it, they just apply. And that's and that's and then they take you if they want you I guess. Uh, yeah, so you have to go through a three five step interview process and uh, really what they're trying to understand is um the you they want they want to understand that you have the talent. I think um one of the mantras is talent is available but it's not equally distributed. Yeah. So trying to see okay if you have the talent to be able to make best use of an opportunity and then most likely get an admission. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. Cool. So it's just like trying to empower people yeah. to start businesses. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Cool. Um, and I guess wait, so when when did Formula officially start? Um, we started we started working on the idea from February twenty nineteen. Okay. But we were officially incorporated in November twenty nineteen. Okay, cool. So still pretty yeah. fresh. Yeah, pretty fresh. Yeah, cool. So I guess, can you tell me, like, I guess since you guys did get incorporated, or I yeah. guess like, maybe, maybe in general, like, once you started with the idea, or yeah. actually, no, I actually want to know the business side, actually. So once you, once you started the idea and you, like, you got incorporated, like, what were your first steps? Like, what were the first, like, like yeah, initial steps to really get it off the ground, I suppose? Yeah, um... I'll say we tried to get stuff the ground before we got incorporated. Um, okay. So while, while we're at MEST, we were pretty much doing a lot of secondary research. But um, getting towards the end of the program, we decided that we needed to do on-ground research because MEST takes place in Ghana. And there were some um, okay. questions that we needed to verify and also to, to really understand whether the business model that we're proposing is actually viable. So we had to also do some form of primary research in Kenya. Um, so yeah, once we're done with that, it really gave us validation that the problem that we're trying to solve actually is one that exists. Um, so we had started the business before we had um, been incorporated, before we had even gotten access to funding. Mm -hmm. And yeah, going forward, I think the first thing that we really had to figure out was the incorporation process. Because having um, 
um, having a multinational team in a particular country does come with its own nuances in terms of how exactly to go about um, company registration. And so the whole incorporation process was really what we tried to first settle out to do. Um, yeah, I think once that was done, then it was really about establishing how exactly our business model is going to work. Mm. Yeah, so um, we, we designed a um, location-specific distribution system, which significantly reduces the time and cost for last mile deliveries. So yeah, that's what we really try to start to do to understand customer onboarding. Mm. Yep. So okay, so you guys just started. So you, by by saying location location specific place, you just started in one place and try to really exactly exactly how the operation yeah. stuff would work there. Yeah. Okay. So um, what, what you realize is um in a particular community a lot of resellers and restaurants will exist mm. but all these resellers and restaurants as individuals go to further further away markets to be able to get access to produce because of the costs okay. yeah so the margins the margins matter very much to them and what we realized was we can get this produce closer to the businesses that want them now because they are perishable and refrigeration isn't um that big of a thing, um, businesses normally buy their perishables in smaller quantities, mm. which they are sure of consuming. So what Familized is basically doing is making it possible for these businesses to get a week's worth of their inventory without having to go through the hassle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I guess, okay, okay, right. So they can just, and, and it's quick because you just deliver it to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And basically the speed of delivering a meal from a restaurant close by is what okay. we're trying to achieve for these businesses. Yeah. So yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay, cool. But, okay. So like you're saying like, are you saying like if they order in 30 minutes, they'll get the what they want? Yeah. So um, what we do is we, We've been delivering through week and we've really been trying to observe which days businesses order the most. Mm. But um, as I know, before we get to that point, what we do is we, we have a window at which when businesses order, it's going to be free delivery. So and what we try to do is to bulk up the order so it reduces the last mile costs. Mm. Um, once that window has passed and a business requests, um, using USSD, um, what we what we simply do is we, we deliver under 30 minutes, but they have to pay the delivery costs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. okay, but I guess I'm just I'm just wondering because you said you you're 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 trying to create like a demand based business, right? So. Yeah. But I'm just wondering, so, like, if you don't have, like, the food, like, yeah. anyway, if you don't have the food, like, place. How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what we did is um, we have something called, something called the sampling process. Okay. And what this meant for us was a business would normally go to verify two things in the market, cost and quality. Okay. Right. 
So now we are already sure that because we have a direct um, connection with the farmers, our costs are low. Right. So now what we need businesses to be able to verify is the quality. Right. So we take it. We take a free sample to the business, and then we're like, okay, you can um, interact with these potatoes, and then tell us if it's what you want. So they cook it, they fry, they look at its um, oil retention, they look at its water content, because it all comes out in the taste of the chips. Mm -hmm. And then they begin to place orders. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we begin to build an inventory on the back end for the businesses, depending on the amount of chip, the amount of potatoes they order every day. Okay. Yeah. So what now happens at the end of the week is we take that demand information back to our farmers and get a fresh supply. Oh, okay. okay. So we, yeah, so we never, we don't, we don't bring the potatoes and then decide to say, okay, well, we must offload everything that we have. No. Right. So we first take the demand and use that to drive the supply. Okay. So you, okay, yeah. so, so you just go off past information or past, past amounts of how much they ordered before. Yeah, the past demand. Exactly. And then you just, that's what you use in the future to like order a certain amount exactly. or a bit more, whatever. Exactly. Oh, okay, exactly. okay, okay. So like whatever, yeah. to whatever warehouse or whatever you place the, you keep the food. Yeah, whatever. so, yeah, so the, um, so that was what I had mentioned about the location specific distribution. Right, right. So what it has is um, mini distribution centers. So they yeah. are not as big as a standard distro, but then they are able to serve a certain number of businesses that make every distro profitable. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. And then I guess I'm, I'm wondering about the last mile. Like, what do you guys use for that um, last yeah. mile delivery? So we've um, been working with local bike men mm. um, because they are easily able to maneuver through traffic and then they are able to carry the maximum orders customers of ours actually have. Mm. Um, yeah. They also are able to keep our delivery times low. Okay. So that's what we do whenever a customer orders one-off. So you are ordering outside the, the free delivery window period. Mm. But once we are doing the normal delivery window period, we use tuk-tuks. Okay. Because that way we are able to bulk up more orders and deliver them to our customer. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah, so I guess you, I, you probably touched on some of them already, but I was running... Um, if there were other, like, are there, are there any other, like, what, like, what are some, like, of the pressing problems, um, yeah. that you guys had and that you had to tackle with in the beginning slash you still have to tackle with now, I guess. Um, All right. um, I mean, one of them has been actually onboarding businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we realized was a lot of um, businesses who come on board. So it's more of even retaining business. A lot of businesses that come on board are finding it difficult to pay upfront, all right? And for a business that really depends on the kickback from the inventory, it makes it difficult to transact with such businesses. So what we've been trying to figure out is um, how can we extend lines of credit to these businesses so that they will be able to take the produce that they need and pay back once they, once it has been consumed. So you're so saying really it's about yeah. I guess so. You saying like is it like when you say the inability to pay upfront? Do you mean like they don't have the 
like the actual ability to like pay like through credit card or whatever or through like some technology like service or is it like they don't have no, the money they, they lack the resources yeah oh, okay the they money. lack the resources okay, the money gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. yeah gotcha. yeah yeah i guess that's a, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother door yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so i mean credit. it's we we <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the lines of credit is, is really going to be uh, more complex. Yeah. But what we've realized was there are actual um, stuff that happen every day that we can mirror with tech and then still be able to deliver on giving businesses simpler lines of credit. So, for example, um, you are looking at mining groups which brings more social accountability as against um, trying to say we are looking for a score or a credit assessment to be able to give a business a line of credit to be able to get access to basically very small produce, right? So it's more of looking at ways that we can put... Uh, sorry about this. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, looking for ways that we can get the produce into the hands of the customers and then still bring them the convenience or the, the difficulty that they face as at now. Wait, so when you say buying groups, oh, okay. When you say buying groups, what do you mean exactly? I was... Okay, so what that means is, um, so there's something called, um, let, me, let me get the name of this. A, so you can say either a circle or a, a credit organization, right? So, group of friends that come together and put their money in a in a common pot. And um, okay, what they do with the money is they allocate it to one member of the group for a month, and then at the end of the next month, they do the same thing. So they do it around the group. What mm. happens is whoever gets the money can use it for whatever they want to do with it. But now what happens is the only reason why everybody is going to continue to pay is because there's social accountability between these people in that group. Mm -hmm. All of them are actually either working together or doing a particular trade together. So this brings more understanding of what is possible from every member. The perks that you are going to give to the group will be assured because every member is accountable for every other person or else they won't get access to whatever they are getting. Mm. Yeah. So really that's the way the social groups work for trade. Mm. So it's like, so yeah. one, so, okay. So everyone puts money in the pot, one person uses it, but it's that one person using it for whatever community thing. Or yeah, so what or... I was trying to get at with that with that concept is yeah. the concept of social accountability between okay, groups. Okay, right. Right, so mirroring that kind of model for trade, right? So right. It, this is something that's already common in open-air markets hmm. where people come together to actually say, okay, we're getting this at a certain um, percentage off. And then once we're done selling, we are able to pay whatever's left and then take off our profits. So okay. in the same manner, yeah, bringing that to traders who are within residential areas and um, basically these small retailer, um, resellers and um, restaurants within residential areas who don't normally practice this, but then are willing to do it to have more social accountability and get access mm. to the produce they want. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's cool. So that's, that's one of the problems. Yeah. Um, again, we've faced um, problems of um, produce quality. 
um what we realized is it's it's one of the reasons why we had to be demand oriented when you bring produce if you are not able to sell it off immediately it begins to it begins to get bad so i'm looking at perishable products like potatoes tomatoes onions and we understood that we needed to change the way we get access to this produce in order to reduce the amount of produce that wastes, right? A lot of produce in what I said. Right. But yeah, basically, yeah, that's that's what we try to do to now say, okay, let's make it more demand oriented. Yeah. Um, I mean, we still face problems in terms of produce quality. And then what we're trying to do is to look at ways through which we can verify the quality of the products coming from the farm before it mm. even hits the road. Mm. So um, we're looking at stuff like that. Um, I think, um, yeah, apart from produce quality and um, financing, let me see. I think basically that's, those are where the, those are where the major problems lie. Okay. Um, one thing that happens again um, in terms of our customers is when it comes to cost, they are, there's really no value proposition that hits them like a lower cost, right? They won't buy something of bad quality. It's like it's yeah. a given. But then yeah, yeah. If, you, if you can give them access to produce, which is at a lower cost, it means yeah. more margins for them. So for them, it's like one plus one. Yeah. So they really they really try to keep their loyalty to the lowest cost. Mm. And um, one thing that becomes difficult is to provide a stronger value proposition where people are willing to pay for good, for better quality. Mm. Right? Even if so it's a little bit higher cost? Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Um, yeah. So when we, when we get into situations like that, again, these are, kind of problems that we, we face yeah. um, in terms of uh, maintaining customer loyalty. So we also have to introduce techs that wouldn't hurt the company negatively, mm-hmm. but then um, we'll, yeah, we'll sort of still ensure that we're able to deliver a value proposition to our customers. Right. Right. I guess it's like, that's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how I would even approach that, but I don't know. <laughs> In terms of like, yeah, um, I mean, the, the simplest way to actually improve customer retention is to just keep understanding your customers, right? right. And what they want. yeah, I, I, I think there is no real um, explosive solution that changes stuff, it's the little increments. Mm-hmm. Oh, you made payments easier, okay, you made it more right. accessible, right? Yeah, improving the, the channel through which customers are able to interact with you, right for their products mm-hmm. and um, even with you on a personal level. So just putting those little optimizations in place and mm-hmm. then they come together to now make a, a really better solution. Right, just improve the entire yeah. experience such that like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay, cool. I guess like, yeah, so there's a lot of, so like, yeah, so there's a lot of issues in terms of like, you talking about like, um, you want this, is what, right, you have this dollar proposition of you wanna, you verifying that the, the, the products and the produce you're given to the sellers, right. Or the people yeah. ordering are like, yeah. is good quality. So I guess, yeah. um, is it, are you guys, I guess, how are you guys using technology to like, I know you're not the CTO or anything, but I was like, how are you, yeah, yeah, yeah. how are you using like technology to like try to verify that? 
is it like like a like a machine learning model or something or is it like um and i guess also in general how are you using technology to like make everything easier as well yeah 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 um i mean first and foremost when it comes to the um demand side we use a supply chain platform which sort of gives us leverage over distribution and um, logistics so what that means is customers are able to interact with us through ussd because we realize that a lot of customers don't um subscribe for data so we created a ussd ussd platform so it's a short message code platform through which they can place orders for the produce they want and for that you don't need Uh, you don't need like any like internet connection whatsoever Nah, you don't need any internet connection. Uh, Simply you just, yeah, you just dial the code with your mobile connection mm. and yeah, you're able to follow the prompts. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we did that and we also have a WhatsApp bot, which um, customers can use to interact mm. and place orders for the produce that they want. So that feeds mm. directly into our demand, um, our supply chain platform. And with the supply chain app, we're able to automate orders to farmers. Mm. So they're able to know, okay, this is the kind of produce that we want and this is when we want it. So Mm -hmm. since we already have a database of which farmers have what at different points in time, it sort of makes it easier for us to know which farmers to contact. Yeah. Um, So the way we're able to monitor that data um, seamlessly is one of the things that really is um, how we're using tech. Normally, this would have been maybe paper-based um, data or data that is not necessarily connect, uh, collected because what we practice is a lot of supply-oriented um, um, food chain, right? So um, another thing that we do in terms of verifying produce quality is we have a, a machine vision app, which we use to take... Um, pictures of produce in large groups and then it's able to give us an idea of what the quality yeah what the quality is so in terms Mm -hmm. of potatoes now we're talking about potato size and then Mm -hmm. the fact that it's now wilt and so we're able to take um aerial photographs Mm -hmm. of harvested potatoes and then it basically gives us an idea of how the potatoes are well something that's still in beta so it's it's getting better Right. Yeah, uh, with more with access to more data, then it gets more more accurate. True, true. That yeah, sense. I think the last thing that we do is for customers who are recurrent, we give them access to a price predictor. So what we do is um, we collect daily market prices and then we combine it with historical price data that we have, and we're able to predict prices to a certain degree of accuracy. And then we're able to give customers the ability to lock prices because price fluctuations do hurt their hurt their margins. Mm. Yeah. So, so you're these saying are, I think these are the three calls. So you're saying for the I guess for that client side, you're saying like when the customers like okay, for loyal customers essentially, right? Yeah. So they they you say that so you get you give them access to the predictor so they can lock a price. So you're saying like uh they want to yeah, order they can lock a price. Yeah. So you're saying like let's say they want to or today's what Wednesday let's say they want to order on Friday or something yeah and you give them a predict so they can lock that price for Friday even if it does change is that what you're saying yeah okay. yeah 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 okay so like I guess that's if it does lower if the price I mean if the price is um uh, I guess increases so that's like uh 
so you guys, uh, I guess, absorb that cost, as, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so what we do is, that's really why we're still collecting our market price data. Mm. Because it increases the robustness. And then we are able to sort of say, okay, I think as of now we're looking at 87% accuracy. So we give um, leeways of extra couple of hundred bucks to make it possible to say, okay, we won't lose. Right, mm-hmm. so we already know the degree of accuracy of the platform, and yeah, give a, a leeway to say we can be able to absorb any shocks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, okay. Okay. That makes sense. So yeah. even if it does lower, like you, even if even if the cost is, um, I guess does increase, like you still like the the, the even though the cost does increase yeah. and the price it pays a lower price, you still like you've already taken that into account, I suppose. Yeah. So you're yeah. you're ready yeah. for that. Taking okay. that into consideration, yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um. Yeah. I guess like I wanted. I was wondering. So we talked. We've talked a lot about like the client side. And yeah. So I was wondering like more on the farmer side, right? Yeah. Um. So obviously like those are like pretty valued. Uh. I guess partners. Um. Yep. For you guys. And so yeah. I guess, how do you, how do you maintain, how do you maintain like the rapport with farmers um, to make sure, yeah, just to make sure like you're taking care of them as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what we do first and foremost is um, we look at what the farmer wants. Um, a farmer wants his whole produce to be off the cliff, right? And what we do is. They want the the whole of their harvest to be off-taken. So, so for, okay, okay, say, for okay, example, okay. if farmer was going to yeah harvest eighty bags of cheap uh, potatoes, he wants you to take the eighty bags, right? right? Um, yeah, he, he he's trying he, to make money. He's going to, <laughs> he's trying to make money. Yeah. He's trying to make money. So first, it's like okay, we know that this is what farmers want, and yeah, yeah we simply off-take and onboard these farmers. So what that means is they are sure that anytime they have produce, which is um, they have singular planting seasons, but each time they have produce, we offtake everything. And then we come back basically to say, okay, you have produce again, we want it, All right? But then the added perk is the fact that since our chains are short, I are able to give them better margins. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is supply driven, um, um interactor will come and tell the farmer is i'm negotiating your prices down because there mm. are other people on my chain mm. that i'll have to settle so yeah let all of us make some money but on the other hand now we are more demand driven so it's mm. like we can give you better margins mm. because we don't have any other person that we're interacting with on our right. chain between us and the customers right yeah so, so basically this is the value prop that we give them and yeah, we've, we've been able to get success with a couple of farmers so far. Mm. Okay. So I guess, okay, yeah, so you remove the you remove the layers between the farmer and the client. And so, yeah. like, right, so you, they're able to get paid more. And then yeah, the customer as well gets cheaper rate. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Exactly. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, cool. And I guess um, I was wondering also in terms of, like, the operations of, so... When I guess so, right? So you're saying okay, like the client comes, orders a certain like five potatoes or something, right? And then, okay. um, so now you and then you, okay, okay, okay. Actually, so I want to know how do you get the 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 food from the farmers to the like the distribution? Oh, oh, okay, all right. We partner with um logistic 
companies to be able to move the produce once there's once our um our inventory is going down okay right so we already have people that are on board that will get the notification that okay you're supposed to go pick up xyz mm. from this location and bring it to this other location right mm. Yeah, so they go to the farm, they pick it up from the drop-off point. So the drop-off point is normally a shed right outside the farming community. And then yeah. these drivers go pick it up and bring it to the to the distro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Um, and I guess also, like, I'm guessing, so, like, just like with the, the clients, you have to do research and user research on what they want. Um, yep. and I guess a similar thing for the farmers, I guess, what does the, um, what does the user re- research look like on the farmer side? Like, I know you said you're, you're probably, you're going to like, uh, you told me earlier, you're going to like to see a farmer tomorrow or something, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering yeah. like, what is, I'm not, I don't know if you're doing user research there, but I want to know if like, what is the user research? How, what does that look like? You know, like trying to figure yeah. out what the farmers want. I'm like, um, I mean, generally, as I said, it's really about the fact that they want to make um, more money. I think if you look at um, a lot, a larger percentage of um, farmers that we have, they've been they've been really older people, right? So you're looking at the average age of farmers in Africa is above sixty, and the kind of stuff that they want was really about making more money to be able to take care of their their families. Um, Nowadays, farming is becoming more attractive to youth and youth want much more. Um, Mm -hmm. They want to be able to increase productivity. Um, They want to be able to um, grow. Mm -hmm. Um, Growth is is pretty much important. They want to be able to actually survive off the amount of farming that they are doing. And yeah, so what, what we're trying to do is to is to improve the market access that shows that okay, some this is actually something that you can survive on. This is something. So this is this could, is you talking about the the younger farmers who are. Yeah, okay. the younger farmers. Yeah. yeah, the more the more modern farmers. Yeah. Um. Again, you're looking at the fact that a lot of um. Um, farmers don't use smartphones, mm. so a lot of solutions that we build for them are USSD based or simply dialing, right? Um, yeah. To make it easier for the farmers to also um, um, contact you. And then you're also able to get access to data from, okay, this is this was basically what the farmer did when they were interacting mm-hmm. with your solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, the surface level information if you are looking at, okay, what, what that what our data from user research on the farm side is showing yeah um yeah yeah basically that i think we also look at the kind of um, farm practice that they do um what changes when they get access to training so it's sort of like we know what's what um what people or which organizations to partner with yeah. in order to boost the productivity of, of our farmers. So we also yeah. look at data like, okay, do, do trainings actually work? Um, what sort of trainings work? Um, do loans for access to inputs work and stuff like that? Mm. So we look at that kind of data and say, okay, is this something that we will be able to 
plug in at a certain point or work with a partner who does this mm. so that we can continue to deliver better margins to the farmers and still focus on the on the demand side of the, mm. of the supply chain. Mm. Right. So, okay, okay. So you guys are working as well to like try to bring resources and stuff to the farmers as well to like exactly. help them as well. Okay. Yeah. 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 When I was doing a little bit, when I was doing some research on um, my formula, it seemed like, yeah. like what you guys are trying to do was try to create like a whole ecosystem like around, yeah. around this whole like industry, like take like, whatever the clients need, whatever little thing they need. Cause I think I saw you like, you guys also like, um, implemented or in the process of implementing like a, a point of sale kind of system for a lot of like the seller. Yeah. Oh. yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Cool. Okay. That's cool. That's good. That's cool. Just like creating, like taking care of both, both. I guess, I mean, I like that too. Cause like, it's kind of like it aligns you. If you take care of like, the farmers and the and also like the sellers as well. You, it aligns yeah. with what you want. Like you'll be taken care of as well. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's a marketplace, it's always a chicken and egg problem. Do you mm. get the chicken first or do you get the eggs first? Mm. And we really we realize that it's like you need to start with one chicken, mm. right? And really take care of that chicken and be able to answer the question of, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, this is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah. So you're trying to ask yourself the question of what values, what, what value proposition would you give to this first chicken that will attract other chickens and make this chicken stay? Mm. Right. So the whole marketplace problem, especially now that we're looking at a perishable food market right it's it really becomes delicate and it will require you to take um to, to think differently about the problem that you're trying to solve um yeah it's really why we're saying okay if we're able to create a monolith in terms of data around supply and demand of agricultural produce we can reduce waste mm. and improve access yeah right yeah okay cool cool yeah um yeah i guess before we before we pivot i wanted to pivot to COVID 19 stuff but before we pivot right. to that um yeah. i was wondering like what was the i think you did mention a little bit you said like during the mess mess that's where you guys started to get like investments um yeah but i don't know if you guys have gotten more investments after, before that or i mean yeah after that after i that. guess like what was that what was that like um, experience, like in terms of like trying to get investment and like pitching the business and things like that. Yeah, I mean it's it's quite difficult to get investment, right? I think it's a it's a it's a pretty picture in terms of oh um, a lot of people are looking to invest in businesses, but then you you realize that a lot of people don't actually know how difficult it is to raise investments. And for us, it was something that we realized early on. And what that meant was we, we had to know that regardless of getting access to funds, we need to be able to build a sustainable business, right? Um, so understanding that made us approach even our solution differently from the fact that we were at an acceleration program that afforded us to say, oh, we're doing only secondary research. 
but um, wanted to be able to hit the ground running. And what that meant was we needed to do deeper research, especially into our business models, to know if they are, to know if it's something that will work. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, getting towards the pitch, as in the business pitch itself, because this is, I mean, for, for myself, it's the first time that I've been able to, to be able to raise um, 100K for a business, which I'm mm. doing. It was, it was tense, it was real. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great experience for me. Um, something that I truly believe in. And yeah, I mean, I sort of was like, it's going to be what it is. But I didn't do the final pitch though. It was, yeah. it was um, my teammates. Okay. Yeah. I think that's really what the builder. Mm. I guess so. Like, and how? Um, in terms of, so I think like it's in, in terms of pitching, right? Like you have to like, you have to bring the facts and stuff. But I feel like you, oftentimes you have to bring a lot of like storytelling. I'm like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you you just you just said it exactly. Yeah. You need to bring a lot of story storytelling. Yeah. I mean. If you are talking about a sector which your investors don't know about, you right. need to be able to explain really what you're talking about in a very simple manner. Mm. All right. Um, I think, yeah, you, the art of storytelling is, is actually very important. It's the only way we're able to, to really explain to people that we understand what we're doing mm. and we know why we're doing this. We know mm. beyond the figures that these are problems that we've experienced personally mm. and yeah we relate enough to solve it mm. okay cool cool yeah because i think like even in the u.s too like all oh, the venture the ca- venture capital funding it seems like it's just like oh you pitch and they'll give you all this money but i feel like there's, there's so much nuance and so much like difficulty in there like people don't really yeah often. i mean i think in the normal um Will I say trajectory in mm. the growth of um, any startup? You you need to have a time frame in which you figure out what exactly works, and then you begin to scale it, right? So there's right. going to be a point in time where um, getting access to funding will be a bit difficult, mm. and then there's going to be a time where getting access to funding is pretty much easier, mm. right? And it's about figuring out a very um, robust business model and sort of go-to-market strategy that you're able to implement and it shows that yeah people will really jump on this you're not you're not mm. running a business you're running a mm. startup and mm. really does showing the growth of your numbers mm. somewhat exponential uh, exponential right sorry yeah yeah because yeah, i guess at the end of the day the investors want want to see like the business like start scaling yeah, yeah yeah i mean the only reason why you'd be willing to take that risk is you need to see exponential growth yeah and that's really the point where um investors begin to understand that okay there's really potential in this and mm. i think it's something i'm willing to back mm. um yeah mm. but do you think how, do, how but do you think like i'm trying to think like i feel like a big part a big problem is that like is like a lot of businesses a lot of startups like focus too much on growth and like yeah and like as against solving problems right right yeah i i mean i it's true and i mean it's a model that works especially when you are able to dedicate a lot of resources to marketing mm. if that makes sense right mm. because your your growth is going to be based on the fact that you are delivering on a on a value to customers which is sort of a ubiquitous 
you're delivering on only cost right um you will by the time you are done getting market share then you begin to find out that your customers have deeper problems which your value proposition has failed to solve mm. and it, it makes customer retention difficult um so at the end of the day someone comes to the lower cost and then your customers are lost right mm. um i think the the uniqueness about the african market is the fact that um, a lot of solutions do not have the scale of um, solutions that are deployed in foreign markets, especially in terms of tech, because we have, um, in terms of internet and um, smartphone usage, which is still growing, it's, the, the market sizes are pretty small. Right. right? So when um, businesses are, are starting in Africa, there's always the mention of you need to be present in multiple markets in order to be able to get a significant market share. Right. Right. So what you will notice is you need to be able to understand very deeply what your business, what your customers are saying in order for you to be successful enough to scale across um, multiple markets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons for us, our core reason for implementing our supply chain uh, platform into different markets is because we want to build a solution that is truly scalable. So it's going to understand, it's going to um, um, request a, a deep understanding of what different markets will, how different markets will interact with your solution. Right. right? So, um, in terms of growth, we're being very purposeful about how we grow, but then yeah. we want it to be an accelerated process once it starts, mm. right? So yeah. it's really why we are implementing a two a two market strategy. Yeah. But yeah, what you said is really true. A lot of um focus is on is on growth as yeah. against solving what customers need. Yeah. And yeah, I feel it's something that is that is lost a lot. A lot of people. A lot of people talk about it, but it's still something that is common. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess like, I feel like, yeah, if you prioritize the problem and really solving, like really hitting the pain or like really solving the pain points of like, yeah, people like people will like see like it's such a much better experience and like people talk about it, things like that. Exactly. And then exactly the growth will come. Like obviously like, so you still have to think about the growth, but like the growth will like come with that, like focusing on the problems and stuff. It will. I mean, yeah. you can see, um, I'll say carefully executed solutions like Yoko, like M-Pesa. Right. Um, yeah. You, you'll see solutions like Paga, Iroko TV. Um, mm, Iroko TV. Understanding that it's, understanding that these solutions that really reflect that you understand your customers' problems will take time in order to to gain market share and just be patient right like enjoy the process is something that is not really discussed like make make people understand that there is pleasure in being able to to solve a problem that customers face real people face and deliver on it right so i think that those conversations need to be had generally yeah 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 cool Cool. All right. I guess we talked about our formula. I guess we could pivot now. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, like, obviously, like, COVID-19 has been a, or, yeah, coronavirus has been a huge thing, like, hit 2020, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, like, you said, I mean, I know you're in Lagos right now, so I wanted to understand how, like, um, I guess what that's been like in Lagos, like, I guess, yeah. how, how people, like, the people have reacted, and also how the government has reacted, um, things like that. Um, I'll say the government reaction has been not the best that I expected. Mm. I mean, that I expected is um, even infinity before. But really, in terms of the the number of tests that were done, I think um, that have been done rather. I think yes, I'll say there's effort, but we need to place that effort in in other things that will make the the amount of tests that we're able to do increase significantly. And the reason I'll say this is because we realized that the world was observing a, a lockdown policy, right, to curb the spread. And what we simply did was to adopt a copy and paste policy. Um, the, the difficulties or the differences in Africa exist, right? Um, a lot of people live day by live on day by day income wages um, um we are we are import dependent in terms of the food that we eat okay. uh yeah it's like the myriad of problems that exist mm. will make it difficult for you to say you are locking down your economy mm-hmm. the same way if a western market or an european market would be. and w- w- what that meant is even if you're adopting a lockdown, the core purpose is to be, what am I going to do when a time period elapses, right? Um, I think that's, that's one place where there was a flaw in terms of what I expected. Um, I expected there to be a more better plan in terms of, okay, we're going to um, run this lockdown for eight weeks and what we want to be able to do is to build our systems through which we're able to conduct more tests right good infrastructure yeah yeah um i think if you look at when it comes to um, the way it's been generally it's it's affected businesses um there's been a lot of layoffs um, they've been follows also in terms of um, keeping workers on indefinitely. Um, but one thing again that you you'll notice is the ability of businesses or individuals to generate income has been has been hampered a lot. Um, there've been stories about people who who do petty trade and the people who normally buy their goods. We're at home, right? Mm. They're at home for a better period of the time, and it's, mm. it's pushed them to do stuff that they normally wouldn't within that period. Mm. Just um, make some money to work from. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think also in terms of enforcement of use of face masks, it's been pretty poor. Um, the reality is we will need to open up, which is what we're doing gradually. But then we also need to give a lot of priority to the to the disease. And uh, what that will mean is the steps which are most necessary to take should be should be sort of taken early and planned better. I I think that's that's something that's lacking. That's something that's lacking. Mm. 
Um, yeah, I mean, of recent, we've been we've been having what we call the gradual reopening, and health workers are still complaining of the fact that um, dead dead people due to corona um, due to the coronavirus are still wielding to the hospitals, mm-hmm. and they are like there needs to be some form of balance. We we need to understand exactly what's going on so that we can implement a different strategy to be able to solve it, not to yeah, not to be like a difficult in the way we approach it. And that's yeah. pretty much what I've been seeing. Yeah. And I guess like it becomes even more like I feel like it becomes even more delicate because like in Lagos, right, there's like what like twenty million people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Twenty one, so wow. So it's extremely dense. And so Yeah, it is which is, which is, it's dense. Which yeah. is which is exactly what you don't want with a, a highly contagious uh, like disease, right? So yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest fear has been that if the disease takes over, there can be a collapse of the of our public health system, which is already yeah. poor. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, again, another another large fear is the fact that a lot of people within the city are are depending on the work of um blue skill blue collar workers mm-hmm. these blue collar workers uh they live in more more slummy areas than the other parts of lagos but a lot of um revenue drive a lot of a lot of revenue is being driven by the work of these people so even mm-hmm. if um there's wow. going to be a lockdown there has to be some form of um support i mean a lot of um individuals have come out to help in terms of food donation and um PPE. basically care package donations yeah yeah and if, if not for those kinds of initiatives it's really it really will be like a, a very a very shitty situation um and those are pri- uh, those well, are private those are private those are uh, private those are private right like so okay. yeah a lot of um yeah that that's been pretty poor on the on the government side mm. yeah mm. a couple yeah. of other states have tried but it's not been a, a, a country-wide implementation so at the end of the day you you'll notice that a lot of people say that this is stuff that happened more on the tv than to individuals Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it really does need to be more accountability that way. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the government. Yeah, there, there does. There does. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, talk of accountability of governments is yeah, a, a whole a whole this discussion. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. Yeah, and I guess on the right. So. I, you talked about yeah. I guess you talked about a little bit of government side, people side, and I guess. Um, do people? I mean, do people think it's a hoax? Do people like believe it, per se? But I mean, I guess like it's kind of like a two-edged sword because even if you do believe it, people still need to like go out and make money to like survive. But yeah, I guess for those yeah. But I guess maybe just talking about that like one dimension. Do people like? Do people feel like it's a hoax or like? Do they believe? Yeah, I guess um, they believe it. I guess. I, I, I'll say I'll say it's a fifty-fifty chance that people believe it and people don't. Um, a lot of I'll say the how do I put it. 
should I say the population? Um, when you're looking at the the amount of people who have died from COVID nineteen, mm. it's it's still significantly low. Mm. So because of the um, the mortality rate is low, a lot of people are still doubting. It's like mm, I think I think this thing is a it's a white man's disease and yeah. elite disease. Mm. There's nothing really happening here. A lot of our government just want to make money from saying that they have presence of patients mm. and videos have even come out to show that some some uh, isolation centers have been empty mm. but the news has been that there have been patients in them yeah so that's i think that really has you seen people being in doubt and they're like mm, i don't i don't believe this mm. i think there's there's something fishy going on mm-hmm. uh, i think um another reason why um lower, I won't say lower income, but then it's like people who have access to, who have less disposable income won't believe right. it is because there have been difficulties that people have been facing. Uh, many people have, have um, tropical diseases, talking mm-hmm. of malaria and whatnot, you're talking right. of heat waves, you're talking of police brutality. Talk, so if you talk of the problems that the common man faces, right. it makes him feel like why do I have to be under a lockdown because of right. this? Like things are difficult anyways. Yeah. So so that makes it easier for them to say, okay, I really will not want to believe this and I can sort of say it doesn't exist and it doesn't exist. Yeah. I so said there's that divide that exists in terms of what people believe right. does does COVID nineteen exist or not? Like damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> so it doesn't Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. That's a whole other that's a whole thing. Um I guess yeah, so I guess you were referring to you were talking about testing and stuff, um and how that's obviously important. And so I, I know you were working on some trying to figure out like optimizing those like those supply chain or those routes, um, in terms of testing and things like that. Yeah. So I guess I just wanted to know like Yeah. Um, I guess how is testing done now and how does your model look to improve that? All right. So you mean like in terms of um, testing produce quality? Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I just based on you talking about like you were working on a, um, I saw like the media article and we talked about a little bit, like you were working on a project to like um, optimize the routes of like how people are tested and stuff like where and when and like where oh we yeah you mean in terms of COVID-19 yeah in terms of COVID-19 yeah, yeah, so yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 um sorry about that yeah, so yeah um I was working with a couple of my friends mm. who are um computational engineers and we're really talking about route optimization because of um, COVID-19 test resources. And what you realize is a lot of countries are able to test a larger number of people within a short period of time. Had um, They did um, this group testing where they're able to pull samples together and test a large number of people at once, mm. right? But then again, to be able to run group sample tests, you need to you need to still uh, have access to the resources to conduct those tests. So for us, what, what happened was we 
we didn't have the resources and our tests were being done on singular basis, right? So what we decided to do was to say, okay, how can we um, optimize the routes for test samples? Uh, so what that meant was we will need to be able to provide a very um, simple interface for ambulance drivers who go to pick up um, coronavirus test samples along with test teams. And uh, what this will do is it will say um, pick up from maybe let's say let's say there are three individuals within three, within a within a sample space. Right. So it will say okay, pick up from A and C then B, right? Because if you pick up A B C, you take more time, right? And a lot of times, what was done in terms of um, planning for testing were pre pre planned lists. So it's like, okay, go pick up A, B, C and come drop the samples. Um, but what we now realized was it would be possible to, to dynamically add more cases as the ambulance is already on the move. Because now we're able to reduce the time that's spent and then just use this interface to say, okay, so pick up D, okay, pick up F, then E, then do that. So it was um, is it, what is, a couple of. Sorry. No, no, um, no. Yeah, yeah. What is, yeah, I guess, so like, on. you said, like, you're saying, okay, like, so, like, what they're doing now is they statically have, like, certain, certain um, they have an order of which way, they, they have an order of which they want ambulances to go and check and go, people to go test people, right? In terms yeah. of locations, right? And so you're saying like the way you want to do is do it more dynamically, like um, right? So instead of yeah. static statically having a list, like doing it more dynamically, I guess like what is what is that what is that based on? Like if you want to say if you want to say okay, like you're at B now and then it tells you uh go go to F instead of D or something. Like what is that yeah. based on? Um it's based, based on um so we're looking at both um traffic data. And okay, okay, road, gotcha. road, road data. Oh, okay, right? so, okay gotcha. yeah. so how fast it will take you to get there? Same. Exactly, oh, okay, exactly. Gotcha. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. In terms of even picking um, patients, um, we also look at um, how how long have they reported? Because we're having um, longer report time. So difference between reports and um, testing times was wider for some patients than others so it was more like okay who has higher priority uh, uh, how long has this person reported and stuff like reported that they have symptoms yeah yeah okay. reported that they have symptoms okay yeah okay so you okay so you guys took that into account as well i suppose yeah in the model okay cool 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 but i guess are you saying it's like but it's been difficult in terms of um yeah, I mean, in terms of, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I think um, what we first did was basically reach out to institutions that had mentioned that they want to support the fight against COVID-19, um, but we didn't get any responses. So we began to look for maybe lines of partnerships with people already um, in the fight against COVID-19. So we looked at 54G because they had built um, testing centers, and then we felt like the purpose of them building at this um, mobile test centers is to be able to increase the number of tests, basically. So all I'm saying is, okay, you can adopt this um, algorithm into what you are doing, and then it will reduce the time taken to conduct mm. more tests. Um, we're also not able to get any response. I think the same thing happened with um, mm. flying doctors. 
um, we reached out because they had built a a mobile a mobile um, test bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, what this basically has is um, glove extensions from the vehicle, so that this vehicle can literally go anywhere and test stations. So yeah. it's literally a mobile a mobile testing booth. Yeah. And yeah. So we felt like if they had this optimization plugged in, then they'll be able to um, get better. Um, people to test in terms of priority of who to test first and also mm. better routes to enable them to test more, but we also didn't get any response. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's people trying to solve it, but yeah, it's, I guess it's, it's, it's hard to hold down. Yeah, I, I, I think at the end of the day, um, what, we should, what we all just have passion for is problem solving. Right. I think it's fun to be able to see a problem and um, understand yeah. that you want to do something about it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah, that's it true. Gets you get the joy out of that, plus, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, gets gets better with time. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good matter to have. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I guess... Um, just wanted to go off one quick topic and then before we end, yeah, um, aye, 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 aye. I guess China, I want to talk about China. And so, yeah, <laughs> so like, obviously there's a lot of been like, there's been a, a lot of Chinese investments, like, um, in Africa yeah. as a whole and a lot in Nigeria. Right. And so, yeah, I just want to understand how, like, People, I guess, from your experiences, how do people feel about all the Chinese investments and all the, I guess, people from China coming in as well? Because like, what I've what I've been reading on, what I've been seeing is that like, even though like, okay, like, these countries or, or cities or whatever will make business dealings with uh, the Chinese government to like build infrastructure and stuff, but then like, it's yeah. not even it's not even like the it's not even like Lagosians or the people native that are working on these like. Um, working on these like uh, projects, it's like they're importing people from China to work on these projects. I guess so. I, I just wanted to understand like yeah. what people think. Um, what you what what are your what your opinions are on that? Um, yeah. It's interesting that you asked. Um, I I think we'll say we're we sort of settling for a shitty deal. And the reason that I'll say that, especially when it comes to, in terms of um, infrastructural loans, generally, mm. um, what you'll notice is the Chinese government really wants to be able to maximize the loans that they are giving to African countries. So that's why it's sort of like they bring resources. Mm. Um, um, like, I mean, especially for Nigeria, I remember that they had brought in um, a couple of resources that are used for building our, our, our rail lines. Yeah, so videos. In terms of steel, yeah. yeah. And they still bring in their people to get paid the money to do the works. And again, this payment is normally in improved oil. Mm. So it really oh, it's really oil. Take away the, yeah, it's in oil. It's wow. oil a lot of times, yeah. <laughs> and it really does take away the the benefits that wow. the, I mean the immediate term benefit that um, industrialization will bring to our people. Right. Um then again you realize that the infrastructure changes. I mean 
when it comes to the rail lines, it, it really hasn't begun to look good. It's been more of people and it's really been sort of um, the, the growth hasn't been fast. Uh, there are still a lot of um, bottlenecks in terms of accessing tickets. Mm. Um, so the customer experience is still poor right. in terms of, in terms of um, implementing it. And I think really where we're, where we're seeing benefits from is in terms of road infrastructure. Um, at the end of the day, we, we will still apply those routes and they will be the ones to enable us to move goods and people. Mm. But um, in terms of the interest rates and the payment plans which the Chinese government has put in place, I think of recent I was listening to a podcast episode and what what they were talking about was the fact that the Chinese government had said regardless of the of the pandemic they were not willing to write off any any loans and the reason was because um, these loans were not humanitarian aid right wow. what they'll do is to is to change the payments um, the repayment plans and I think sort of give waivers to government for a certain period of time and I think in reality it makes sense what the purpose of the investment is to is to um, make money off it I mean that's that's really why they are, they are doing that's the interest investment. yeah 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 their interest um, but again I think the interest rates are put in such a way that it becomes difficult for a lot of governments to pay. So what that now means is that the Chinese government has to take over some property. Maybe it was a collateral that was put in place in terms of, okay, yeah. let's go into this deal and stuff Dangerous. like that. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like you look at um, wow. the fact that, I mean, consumer, consumer loans, right? high amount of interest is used to right. cater for low and uh, high amount of defaults, mm-hmm. right? So right. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that the businesses that take these loans are able to repay it off. They are, yeah, they become perpetually in debt. So they mm-hmm. keep renewing their loans. Mm-hmm. But then I think the purpose of those investments or those loans is for the businesses to grow. Mm-hmm. So same thing now that mirrors back to the kind of deals that most um, African countries are cutting. It's mm. it's stuff that will be paying back for years, mm. right? Um, I think in terms of um, comparing um, Chinese loans with maybe loans from the West, there have been arguments that it's better, but I don't, I don't, I don't really see it from what I've from what I've been looking at. Yeah. Um, um, in the in the tech community, I mean the the last and largest that I remember was for Opay, which was um, I think hundred and seventy or two hundred million dollars for a I'll say maybe that should have been a series series A or B, but this company is pretty much young, and then the purpose of the investment was for accelerated growth, mm. right? gain of market share and then really begin to implement a more robust business model but they they face difficulty from um, government regulations and really what we're, what we're just waiting to see is okay what will happen post corona i mean they face difficulty in terms of implementing their bike healing services 
and that's that was really what the whole um ope was surrounded on in terms of okay they were bringing in more financial what's ope um, again yeah ope um o p a y i think it's it's from the opera group all right okay, so they brought so in features just, to try to boost the, the user no go ahead go ahead sorry you said go ahead go ahead so uh, I, was, I was like okay so okay is just like they just like invest money into places it's like a like oh, a hedge fund or something or what oh no uh, i think it's more of a um let's say it's a financial app um enables you to pay it's built it's built a payment channel for smallholder businesses so you have an idea of flutterwave and pista yeah i've heard of it and yeah and you realize that the kind of customers that they target are, are more corporate institutions right? Right, right but what ope was doing was sort of creating a payment channel that will um be more focused on smaller scale businesses right yeah mm-hmm. and mo- most of these businesses were dealing with goods and services so it was based on the fact that they needed a finance app backed by logistics and when the lagos state government put in a ban on uh, on bikes it really hurt their business model so now i'm trying to look at okay what will happen post corona will will they come with a new strategy um what's going to be the fate of the fact that um like motorbikes or like bicycles uh, yeah Motor, motorbikes motorbikes Okay. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. But I guess yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a whole problem. But I guess like what do you think? What do you think? Obviously this is like a, a larger issue, but what do you think is like the best way or the steps that I guess different maybe I guess maybe I'll make it more specific to Nigeria. like nigeria can take or maybe kenya can take to like try to be more um self-reliant you know because like because like um i feel like taking all these loans and these investments and stuff like obviously like yeah you get the capital but at the end of the day like long term these are like their their interests are invested 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 into these like loans right and so you're taking away away more of the wealth from the country back into these western into these western and uh, eastern to western countries in china as well um yeah but it's like yeah i mean i know obviously i know it's a lot of mismanagement and stuff but like i don't know like in terms of like all the resources yeah um i think one thing that the corona is bringing about is um something that's quite interesting which is work from home right and um so i'll, I'll quickly piggyback to what had happened during Nandela days um the co-founders had mentioned that they that they um they wanted to make um programming more more interesting right. in in a um, couple of african countries right i think um so they, they even talked about the fact that they had gone to a bar to talk with um a bar or i think 
forgotten where the event was taking place and they were talking with a couple of people and, they, and the question was how much do you think you'll make per month as a programmer and i mean the the responses were pretty low and they were like don't worry you make much more so and the last showed us that it's possible for local developers to work with multinational companies and a lot of companies have a lot of firms have re remodeled the Andela um, business design and they've also been able to achieve these kinds of feats. Now, the interesting part about the coronavirus and bringing about work from home is it's possible for anybody to be able to execute on a global project. It opens up the space, mm. right? In terms of I need um, work done who can who, who's able to deliver on this mm. and which is going to hurt microcad the least right so it opens up the market and i think one place that we can really focus on is um providing human resources um i think there's also a company in um in the north of maybe kaduna also mm. and what they do is they also outsource i think customer care and different kinds of services to foreign firms. So what this does is, because of the um, pay grade is better abroad, it's able to, it's able to be really sustainable for the people who are employed from here mm. without having to necessarily leave home. Um, mm. So focus on human resources is really key, mm. right? Um, another thing that we can do is to, I'll say, focus on agriculture. I mean. It, it sounds like, okay, yeah, yeah, an agri entrepreneur, so I, I expect to hear that. But um, what, you, what you realize is there is a lot of potential, right? right? Um, we have a lot of um, arable lands, which are pretty much unused. I mean, that's even on the larger side. But on mm -hmm. the smaller side, um, mm -hmm. you realize that the amount of production per hectare is still very low. Uh, I think one firm that was able to do something interesting was Tomaco Jaws. And what they did was they provided a loan package which gave farmers some um, training, access to um, improved seeds, and yeah, a couple of um, um, inputs that will help them to be able to perform better in terms of production. And I think they released results a couple of days back. And what you realize is farmers are having 15 times more returns than mm -hmm. they normally would have. Um, so focusing on even that in, in, um, improving the output of farmers it is something that is very, that's very useful when looking at the agri sector. Again, you're looking at value addition for farmers. So mm -hmm. um, you're looking at crops like, I think the AFDB chairman was saying it, that without considering um, agriculture not as a way of life but as a profitable business mm. there's still going to be a lot of neglect on, on agriculture especially in africa here you look at for example chocolate and you hear that a farmer is taking three percent mm. of um of the of the um resources that are used to to actually get the end results right yeah. it's it's saddening yeah um yeah yeah, I was, I was, I was. Yeah, I heard, I heard that somewhere where it's like, in um, 
Yeah, with the cocoa business, like seventy-five yeah. percent of the resources or something are like. Yeah, and, and again, these farmers still face fluctuations. So it's mm. like, for example, you look at your chocolate bar or your or your jar of coffee, and you realize that the prices hardly go lower. Right? Mm. They go higher because mm. the businesses need to cover up for their money, operating right. expenditure, right? But then the farmers have periods where prices go, prices go down. They, they face fluctuations, right? So they. They are losing on both sides. They are looking at okay, um, how can we, how can we change that for farmers? I mean, then I'll say for our side, what we really looked at is the fact that food wastes differently in different markets. Mm. And one thing that's peculiar for the African market is a lot of food that is wasted happens at the farm, mm. and it's because number one, the information across the chain is fragmented, and number two, the infrastructure is is broken right so yeah understanding that if you're able to build um a a system through which you are able to get the data on what is happening on the consumption side and use it to feed um supply the amount of food that is wasted significantly reduces yeah yeah capturing data that as and now is not necessarily captured Right. right yeah and you're able to help it improve market access so that's in terms of agriculture i mean there are other things that i feel the government should do mm. in, in which if we don't do um it's going to be pretty much difficult to do any other thing so you're looking at even even with the private sector yeah especially mm. like okay so yeah improving labor laws um a foreign company comes and then they they treat your citizen shitty you yeah, are right. supposed to be able to have laws that protect your citizens at the end right. of the day. Um, we are looking at the fact that we're going to be implementing the Africa Free Trade Agreement. Right. And you need to be, countries need to be able to put measures in place that will protect their citizens. Right. right? Um, yeah. Things to labor laws. Um, I mean, in Nigeria, we have our own um, separate issues around policing mm. um, around I mean accountability is, is everywhere right. accountability right. yeah so I mean a couple of issues that governments can really focus on even in terms of allocation of funding to different sectors these are stuff that only the government can do in terms yeah. of implementing policies. Yeah. It's really good that a lot of tech entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs from other sectors are stepping up to being um, think tanks where they can advise the government on the kind of policies that they can implement that will help the younger generation. Yeah. But we need we need more of that. Yeah. We need more of that. Yeah. 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 You think they're listening? Um, well, so I'll say to an extent, I mean, it's, it's little. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I know that was signed was the not so young to run bill. And I mean, after it has been signed, what you're having is a couple of younger people are running for office and getting into office. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's it. Promising, it's promising, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we also have a very large role to play um, in terms of the fact that I don't think there's going to be one um, one leader that's going to step up and solve all the problems that we have. 
people have to be to begin to look at the problems around themselves and say, okay, what can I what can I do to change this? Right. I mean, at the end of the day, not everybody is going to be an entrepreneur, but as time goes on, you can always lend your voice. You can learn actually, you can do something, right? Um, yeah. A, a typical example is the fact that coronavirus came; it was unplanned for, mm. and what that resulted in is people staying at home and saying, okay, well, I'm waiting for the government to do something. Uh, well, what can you do in your own little way? What, yeah. well, how are you moving the needle? Are you, are you just going to sit and wait? Mm. Like, yeah, I feel um, right. should, young, the younger guys should be more proactive, exactly. Yeah. Like, approach, approach the problems that exist differently and yeah, let's, let's do something. Yeah. 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 And I guess also like they could try to start to like maybe force the force the government's hand that way too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's there there are yeah. a lot of problems, and I mean, I I feel it's stuff that will get better with time. But then it's like don't don't fold your hands and expect that okay, time is one very good concept that's coming to solve your problem. Right. like, okay, what are you doing? It's people moving yeah. the needle over time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's people moving the needle over time. Makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I guess one last question. Um, um, probably touched, I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit too, like just now. But I guess, I mean, you basically touched on it. Um, and I guess the question is, what do you think people who want to, I guess, start to solve problems and really build, um, like solve problems and have like solutions that start to like solve a lot of the problems in, on the continent should do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a basic dedication to the problem itself mm. is, is the first step. Um, at the end of the day, I think a lot of um, problems we face are problems that are sustainable to solve in terms of the fact that as you solve it over time, this is something you're dedicating your 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 worth to. Right. It's going to be something that's sustainable enough to, to feed you, right? But beyond that, it's like really, really develop a passion for problem solving. Um, I, I don't think I don't think there's a, a simpler way to put it because yeah. it gets it gets tough. Mm. But if it's something that you are used to, it's like you are talking of regardless of the of the sector in which you find yourself. I mean, there are guys that are working in IT that can switch from um, the oil and gas industry to agriculture, to healthcare, because of what they are doing is implementing different code bases that will execute on different requests, right? But at the end of the day, their knowledge is sort of crossed. It, it cuts across borders. Right. But then what they have to have a drive for is to say, okay, I want to be able to solve the problems that exist. And what that takes is is a better, is, um, how do I say, it's patience, right? right? You don't, you don't solve problems from the surface. You really want to be able to 
do something that does deliver on the value that your um I won't say customers, but then at the end of the day, we are solving the problem for once. You you don't want to do something shallow that sort of solves the problem for now. You want to do something that really does stand the test of time. Right. And yeah, what that takes is, is dedication to problem solving. Right. So I think if it's something that we can pick up, dedication yeah. To problem solving. yeah. Dedication to problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. So it's to, it's to start solving core problems instead of symptoms. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's always this um, interesting short story of I think it was a social, a social, um, an NGO that came to um, solve a problem somewhere in Africa where the ladies were finding it difficult to get access to water. So what they had to do was to check miles to go get the water that they want and okay. take it back home. Uh, what this uh, um, institution did was to build a well that afforded them a shorter distance to get access to the water that they wanted. And what ended up happening was the ladies poisoned the well because wow. it meant that they didn't have the time to gist, Right. So there is there is the opportunity of um, walking to the stream to get water, walking to the source of water to talk about family problems. Uh, and those were those were personal moments for them to right. to share. And what this well was doing was it was preventing them from sharing those moments. So they poisoned wow. the well. Wow. And so you, you begin to understand that you need to look at the the root cause of problems yeah. and not just solve them from a very basic perspective. Oh yeah there's no food, give food, no. Like, right. what exactly are your outcomes that you're trying to get? And yeah. Yeah, over time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's something I've, I've been hearing a lot. Like, people coming to other countries or other places and trying to solve problems or whatever with the same perspective as, like, in the West or something. I just think, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, I guess in this example, oh, like, oh, convenience. Obviously, obviously they want convenience. So, that's... Exactly. Well, but they don't they're not doing the user they're not doing the actual research to understand why they like if they if exactly. they don't mind like being exactly. walking that much to like why why they walk that much or if they don't mind walking that much and like all the actual intricacies that come with like the different culture and the different people you know and that's interesting wow um, okay cool um yeah i think that that's all the questions i had um so thank you for coming on. Um, I just wanted to ask if people yeah. want to reach out to you or like learn more about you, how, how should they connect or end or like engage in your content? Well, um, I'll say I've been, I've been pretty lazy, but <laughs> I really like to have people read what I write on Medium because okay. I think it gives an idea of um, how, I, how I think who I am as a person. Okay. So on Medium, I am um, Prince Leo. So L W E L. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll put. I'll put. Yeah. Okay. I'll put the handles right. Yeah, I'll put the. We, we can talk later after, and I'll put like the, the link and everything, like the show notes and everything else, or whatever. Yeah. 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 All right. Then, then that's good. Yeah, and I guess also like if people want to learn more about, I guess formula. Um, yeah. How should they connect Definitely. and engage as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, social media, or, I mean, personal sending messages. You, yeah. 
depending on the context, then yeah, okay. we'll be able to be able to talk. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for <laughs> taking I this mean, on talking to I, me. I I I I felt pretty bad that I mean Nepa Nepa did theirs. I, I don't know what I'm calling them Nepa, but the, the power distribution guys did theirs. And um, I was also late. So I was really like I I hoped I was able to pack a punch. I hope so. Yeah, this is good. I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot. I know. Whoever listens to this will be learning a lot right, as well. Dennis. Hey. All right, then. All right, then. It's cool. It's cool. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, have a... I guess it's what? Right, 10... What time? 11 over there now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. All right, have a good night. All right, then. You too. Take care, Kevin. That was Ibrahim Abdul-Malik, the COO of Formula. They were a startup based in Nairobi, Kenya. But Ibrahim is currently in Lagos, Nigeria, doing a pilot there. Like many, they had a bit of a hiccup in their operation due to the coronavirus. But they persevered to bring about the vision of ensuring food security for all throughout the African continent. And thank you so much for listening to the show. If you want to write to me or send me feedback, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook as my name. I'm Pebble Me 54 and you've been listening to the New Africa Podcast.